0: All right. Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy What podcast. My name is Jonathan Sousa, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Mr. Ben Wexelman. Ben, how's it going this evening, man?
1: I'm doing really well. You know, got through uh, got through hump day, and just trying to uh, get through the rest of the week here. Looking forward to a really solid discussion about fantasy sports once yet again, and uh, hopefully we can make some more uh, make some more bucks in the CFL world this week as well. And so. Definitely excited to talk some niche sports and uh, also talk some strategy as well.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely. And uh, before we get rolling here on this week's episode, uh, we just want to give a real quick thanks again to Ben Kramer from Daily Roto for coming on the show last week and speaking to us. It was a really insightful discussion on his background, which might be the most interesting background in daily fantasy sports, as well as kind of. Uh, his thoughts on CFL DFS and a little bit of strategy as well. So if you hadn't had a chance to listen to that yet, and you're going to find yourself here in the CFL streets over the next couple of weeks, I highly suggest you go back and check that episode out. Uh, But let's go ahead and transition to this week's topic, Ben, and I'll let you go ahead and introduce it because um, it's really around the research process of these niche fantasy sports. And I know that you kind of have had a little bit more experience in the sports where information may not be readily available. So why don't you kind of lay the framework for the discussion that we'll be having tonight?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, this is something that as we go through before we record these podcasts and talk about various things we want to discuss over the course of, of time and, and throughout, you know, our, our seasons and through the various sports Something I think that gets lost and people don't pay enough attention to is the actual research that goes into some of these niche sports. So a lot of folks obviously are very uh, attuned with what's going on in the NBA, what's going on in the NFL, MLB, etc. on a day-to-day basis. But when you get some of these niche sports like preseason NBA or preseason NFL or even summer league, which we, you know, it's just kind of in the rear view mirror, it, it's, it's a different process. So I'll kind of explain a little bit about that and what you might want to do in order to get an advantage over the others, uh, that are out there trying to play those sports or, you know, dabble into it, in it and and general a little bit. So, you know, w- when it comes to preseason NBA and NFL, uh, and, and summer league as well, although that's, that's in the past, information is is king and so with preseason NBA and last year is just a, a quick example um Galen Dragiev from Daily Roto and I uh talked a lot about preseason NBA last year and, and did a lot of of work around that last year like we would get lineups uh a minute and a half maybe before lock you know at uh, two minutes maybe. If if we were it, it, and and so when you get information that late, and you know you're building your cruncher set or whatever you use to create lineups, you have an advantage if you're on the ball and you're getting that information before others, because um, whether it's starting lineups or information about people being out right before lock. You are able to, you know, swap people in that that are going to take some market share uh, away from whoever's sitting, Uh, and on top of that, there are going to be, in some cases, depending on who gets scratched, there's going to be a host of people that don't track that news that are going to be playing, you know, those players. I'll give one example um, for just from the just from the preseason or sorry, just from the summer league, uh, auntie Zizic from the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's obviously uh, a bench player during the season, but he's one of their kind of main pieces in the pre in the summer league, uh, because he had, you know, played in the NBA. And and a lot of these guys are just kind of, uh, you know, good college players, but don't, don't quite make the NBA. And so he was an established guy and, uh, I, there there was one day where he got late, late scratch, like I'm talking seconds before Locke and um he was upwards of fifty percent owned in a lot of contests. So if you pivoted off of him and you owned someone else, you know, really it didn't it didn't matter who it was, right? Like uh if you just button smashed and, and did a global player swap to someone else, you were way ahead of the field. And it's things like that uh as well as just reading as much content as you can. So, Twitter is obviously the first and foremost um, authority in terms of getting information in a timely manner. But really, uh, weeding information through these beat writers' articles is is just as important. So, getting an idea of hey, you know, Dwayne Bacon, who plays for the Hornets, um, he's an established NBA player. Was a rookie last year. Uh, going into his second year, he's going to get uh, a fair amount of playing time over the course of the, the first couple of games in uh, Summer League. And and that was out there. There were coach um, quotes about how James Borrego had said, hey, you know, he's a new coach. He wants to see his guys uh, play heavy minutes for the first few games. And so those first few games, it was like one of the only things we knew about the slate was that Charlotte was going to play it's starters or it's, you know, good players, a heavy dose of minutes. And so you load up on those guys and then kind of fit in pieces here and there. And so that's just one quick example that I wanted to give with respect to the strategy that goes behind these. Sometimes it takes a little bit more than just looking at a little bit of data. Sometimes you have to look at articles and, and truly gather, uh, some information that you may not readily be able to quantify, but it, it can pay dividends down the road. And so I know you you haven't done a whole lot with with respect to niche sports, but kind of how do you change your process and what are your thoughts on attacking those niche sports um, compared to uh, doing an NBA? F- you know, regular season or NFL regular season. Um, and you can even talk, I know you're obviously, uh, very used to, uh, going around the soccer streets. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how, how the, the world cup, uh, information was like, and just kind of any, any more of the niche sports uh, process that you've got.
0: Yeah. So I'll kind of add my own, thoughts here. And then uh, I did jot down uh, just a few questions that I wanted to ask you, Ben, especially as how it pertains to uh, NBA, because I know we'll have NBA preseason coming up here before we know it. But uh, you brought up up a really good point with soccer. Uh, I did play pretty much every World Cup slate uh, throughout the duration of the tournament this summer. And uh, I, I really think that soccer is one of those sports where it's absolutely vital that you're able to find information and digest it in a way that'll help you make your lineup. Um, I really don't think that there's a lot of value in finding a projection source for soccer because there's so much that goes into a soccer projection. So, you know, a, a winger could be projected for 15 points and, you know, he could be expected to throw in, you know, five to seven crosses. But if the formation changes and he's playing a little bit more centrally with, you know, perhaps maybe two strikers in front of him, then he's not going to have those same opportunities to cross the ball in. And you're essentially projecting the best case scenario for him. So I think in soccer more than pretty much any other sport, maybe besides preseason NBA or NFL, um, I don't really think that there's a lot of point to relying on projections, which I think is um, something that a lot of players are just looking for, uh, you know, People will go out and pay a premium for somebody offering a projection set for a niche sport simply because they don't want to do the work themselves. They don't want to go out and read these articles and decipher this information. So um, that's kind of my experience with soccer. And then, you know, I was recently playing tennis as well. Uh, I kind of stopped a little bit because I was bleeding way too much money. Um, but that was another sport where just information isn't readily available yet. And somebody's not, I mean, there are, there are great sites that keep track of, you know, ACE percentage and double fault percentage and all of that fun stuff. And then there's obviously great sites that you can go to, to see kind of a conglomerate uh, Vegas line when it comes to uh, comes to certain matches. So you can potentially spot inefficiencies in the DraftKings pricing, but um, that's just another sport where there's not projections yet. So, I think I mentioned this to you, Ben. I I would tend to say that in these niche sports, bad chalk exists a lot because, you know, if there's one article that comes out on like a Roto Grinders or a Daily Roto or a Roto Wire or something like that about a preseason NBA slate or a tennis slate or anything like that and, you know, somebody is written up, there's a pretty good chance that they're going to be chalk. Now, that's not to say that they don't have the potential to be good chalk, but um, I think that bad shock exists a lot more. And if, if you believe in your process and you believe that your research is correct, then don't be afraid. I would say, don't be afraid to kind of fade that potentially high owned player. If your, your data is telling you otherwise. So those are just kind of two things that I kind of took from what you were, uh, what you were saying. And then I I did have two quick questions for you, mainly as it pertained to, you know, summer league and how you went about that as well as kind of preseason NBA when we come up. So, with the frequency of a lot of this late news that we're getting, it seems like an NBA, uh, as you mentioned, you know, sometimes a lineup could change 30 to 30 seconds to a minute before lock. And, you know, if you're running a hundred to 150 lineups in some of these low to mid stakes GPPs, you could be put in a really tough spot if you have to pivot immediately. So what would your recommendation be in terms of just putting all of your research into one lineup and getting, you know, cash game action, as well as tournament allocation with that single lineup? Or do you think that it's still viable to MME? And then I know that you mentioned Twitter is kind of a really big source of information in terms of uh, gleaning, uh, maybe some lost information in terms of these, you know, niche fantasy sports. Do you think that it's best to make a list of your own? Or are there lists out there that exist of like, You know, beat writers for the NBA or beat writers for the NFL that you've been relying on to do your research.
1: Yeah. So, uh, uh, on your first comment, uh, I think with these niche sports um, like summer league or like preseason NBA, NFL, that you almost have to mme. And the reason I say that is, you know, so I'll give you an example on the very first slate. Uh, for basketball it was a 3 p m lock no late no late swap right and there were games that started at 10 p m so right. uh you were just you were flat out guessing on on things based off of what media days were like uh and what information was like so you know if, if jared allen doesn't get scratched uh in and, and he was Brooklyn, one of the Brooklyn Nets' uh, two most you know reliable players. He and Caris Leverton. and so both of them got scratched before the first summer league game, despite a, a lot of uh, hype that they would actually be playing. And uh, I, I got fifth in in the big GPP with Jared Allen zero. So I mean, if that happens, it's it's a whole other story. But it it's just stuff like you know, I think you have to MME, because you have to cover it, not all your bases, you're never going to do that. But you want to make sure, especially take advantage of, like I had mentioned previously with the Hornet situation, you know, they're all getting heavy minutes, you want to go really, really heavy on them, get overweight on the field. I think Malik Monk was like 40% owned, had like 80 percent of him or whatever you know and uh he didn't crush it on in the first game actually he he had like 30 points and no peripherals uh but the rest of the starting lineup willie Hernan gomez you know he's he's the the beast and got like 15 boards and and uh scored like 22 points or something ridiculous i mean he's he's just a point per minute machine in fantasy. And so I I had like, I don't know, 75, 80% of him. And um, the field was like 26 or something. I don't know. And so when you're way overweight the field like that, and you you throw in some low owned plays, uh, Christian Wood went nuts, had like 51 DK points. Uh, Furkan Korkmaz uh, had like 48 DK points. I had them all in a lineup. Uh, and, and, uh, had chess and Randall who ended up playing like six minutes. And so that held me back from, I got like third in the GPP. So I got third and fifth, but it's like MMEing though. Yeah. Uh, if you feel like you've got an edge, it, it makes so much sense. And then with respect to the lists, um, yeah. So I don't know about all the different sites that have them out there. Um, I happened to find one on just doing like a simple Google search For, uh, for Twitter, you know, uh, list like Twitter list NBA beat writers or something like that. Um, I'll say just as a plug for him, uh, Mike Gallagher from Roto World is like incredibly on top of the NBA. Uh, He retweets just about everything that the NBA has to offer within like seconds, if not uh, one or two minutes. So he is super on top of it, uh, and and that's been great. And then uh, labs is labs is top notch during the season. I mean they're they're right on it. They <laughs> they beat the uh, tweet deck scroll for uh, some of the beat writers that I've got sometimes, which is pretty nutty. I don't know how that happens. Um, yeah, it's just giving yourself all of those outlets for information is is so crucial. Um, you know, but but after that, I, I actually want to go a little bit on a tangent here. But getting back to something that you were saying, which kind of just reminds me of the overall landscape of of niche sports and how things go, is even though the World Cup was this, you know, obviously on such a massive stage, you know, billions of people watching the the final and whatnot, um, there was a showdown slate very early on, like. Morocco versus Iran, right? If you had pulled a thousand Americans, you know, there might be like three people that would know um who play like name two players on each team, right? And so yeah, maybe, maybe maybe that. Maybe yeah. right. I mean that that that's probably not even, you know, if you had pulled a hundred thousand, maybe there's three. So when when you go to you know, obviously there's a lot of soccer diehards in these showdown contests and uh, who who actually do know these people but at the same time it was the World Cup like you were going to get dumb money everywhere so um, like you said if there's one article hinting at oh this person might be a good play automatic sixty percent in in GPP and you might look at that player and think from a more educated standpoint since you follow soccer really closely uh you might say no that you know that's that's what you classify as bad chalk and so you can find advantages there uh by just looking at some of those niche sports and understanding um where the bad chalk is and um, taking advantage of you know like we've said some of these just like super obscure things what people would joke the people that i know that that don't play dfs right they were making fun of me about playing summer league, they were like, "Why, wh- why on earth would you ever do that?" But the advantage in summer league, there were no, uh, th- there were uh, th- there was one, I should say. There were th- there was one uh, DFS pro in the in the uh, NBA summer league streets. Otherwise, it was totally empty. You didn't see anyone else. Uh, you had FJ Born in there, and that was it. And so just taking advantage of softer fields like it 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 just makes so much sense and so i i think that you know all these situations need to be taken into consideration when you go and register for the various contests that you want to play in because it's so valuable right i mean when i looked at the contest i was like wow you know no badge no badge no badge uh just a bunch of people that want to watch, uh, you know, all the almost all the games are on ESPN or NBA TV. So, right, and a lot of them are in the middle of the day, so I'm sure you had college kids that were like, "Oh yeah, uh, you know, sitting here watching, <laughs> sitting here watching ESPN anyway. Uh, might as well play." And it's all like it's all recent college kids, right? And, and that are right. playing. So they're all like, oh, I remember Dante DiVincenzo. I remember Jalen Brunson from Villanova, like Omari Spellman. These are guys that I can, you know, get down with. These are guys that I recognize. And and then, you know, all the draft picks go. So you've got DeAndre Ayton, who went number one overall. Like, you've got all these very recognizable names. And people are like, yeah, sure, we'll lock them in. And then – those of us that actually read content and whatnot, it would be like, Oh, that, you know, Dennis, Dennis Smith jr. is only playing one or two games. So come the third or fourth game in the pre in uh, in summer league, he was nowhere to be found, right? He wasn't even, wasn't even at the arena. And so, and, but he, you know, it's still 10, 15% owned, whatever. And it's just insane edge when you get to those types of situations. And so why not take advantage of it? Uh, I have a I have a uh, a friend who does betting full time and uh, mm-hmm. it's something that he always has said is he he bets really heavily on like Mac football Wednesday nights
0: yeah action baby
1: yeah man action exactly so his from his standpoint he's like look uh, it all pays the same right his 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 Mac money pays the exact same as as winning in the Super Bowl that's that's his. That's his philosophy, and it's a hundred percent true. So oh, yeah, if you have, you know, it all it all pays the same. So, um, if you feel like you've got an edge, you, you really should be firing at some of these niche sports. And um, so, I just wanted throughout this evening's podcast to just delve into that a little bit more in terms of what people should really be considering as they look into um, playing some of these lesser known, shall we say slates um you know dig a little deep into the information sure it takes a little time uh but you know what i like i've said in some of the other podcasts like i'm an nba junkie anyways um i'm a spurs fan so james borrego was an assistant coach with the spurs last year so i'm curious to see how he does honestly um his in his first head coaching role so listening to his videos they're like seven minutes he's talking about his guys um and how his team's going to be this season it's a little interesting to me regardless. And then on top of that, I'm like, Oh, you know, get, get a couple of nuggets here or there. And uh, I'm good to go. <laughs> and you yeah, know, and it, it, it's just, and and that set me up really well. I mean, you, you know, you've already talked about the tennis debacle that um, both <laughs> of us have experienced, but, and so that, that didn't exactly help the cause in terms of <laughs> uh, building the bankroll a little further during these summer months, but At the same time, that summer league, I'll I'll stretch that out for quite a while now here.
0: For Uh, sure. Yeah, and, and, you know, one thing that I wanted to quickly interject with, um, Ben, is, you know, I I think that the the idea you were talking about around some people will still play these guys that aren't even showing up to the building. So you mentioned that Dennis Smith Jr. was like 10 to 15% owned, potentially on a slate that he wasn't even projected to even play. And I know that that happens a lot with uh, NFL preseason as well. You know, everybody, I think on DraftKings, everybody's like 5,500 or something like that for the preseason. Mm-hmm. Right, so exactly.
1: So
0: you'll see like, I, I remember last year, like one of the first games or one of the first slates had the Dallas Cowboys on it. And uh, obviously there was like, I, I forget where I saw the, the ownership percentages, but like Ezekiel Elliott was like, eight to 9% owned in one of the bigger tournaments. And like every indication said that he wasn't even going to play the first preseason game. So like, there's just like free money, like sitting out there in some of these preseason sports where people just see, Oh, well this guy that I'm used to paying, you know, $8,000 $8,000 to $9,000 with in the NFL season is now 5,500 and I can fit as many of these people on my team not recognizing like how preseason football works or anything like that and you see so many dead lineups in these contests so um, I, I definitely agree with you there that if you do your research and you know where to look for your information uh, as well as if you know how to digest it the correct way then I think that the edge is absolutely massive in these preseason and summer league formats so um, I, I, I definitely agree with you there. Um, any parting thoughts here? I know we're kind of getting close to the uh, the end of our time here, but is there anything that you'd like to kind of leave the listeners with this week, Ben?
1: Yeah, uh, and and that is, I mean, take advantage of this while we have it, because just like we've seen with DFS as a whole, people that the larger community gets smarter each and every year. I mean, I remember a few years ago you would find some of these preseason NBA preseason NFL players like 30% owned now they're 10 15% next year they might be 5% you know, people are going to continually get smarter the edge gets smaller and smaller and so take advantage of this stuff while you can because who knows how much longer it's really going to be there uh you know you, you hear some of these dfs pros in general talking about how much longer the the edge even for themselves as full-time players will really be given all the information that's out there um who, who's to say that it's gonna last super long so while we've got it and while it can be easily identified take advantage of it
0: yeah for sure i uh i couldn't agree more i i think that you know, the tired argument with is DFS profitable long-term, you know, I, I think that if you are a good player that understands basic strategy, I, I think that it's a lot harder now, but I still think you can be profitable in over an NFL season. And I think that that'll continue to be the standard for a lot of people. I still think that there are going to be plenty of people that come in and play just traditional NFL classic main slate DFS for as long as it exists. So mm-hmm. if you're worried about DFS going away, like as long as these sites are up and running, like football season should still be a print fest for most people that are listening to this podcast. Cause I'd imagine, you know what you're doing in NFL, but uh, you know, in terms of these niche sports, you know, we saw it with college football and college basketball, even though that was pretty much just a separate discussion, but you know, those sports were very profitable for a long time and you know, they went away like that. And, who knows i mean we we got to the point where you know cfl contest sizing was a little down towards or a lot down actually towards the end of last year and then we were wondering if it would even come back this year and you know now it's back and it seems like the sport is growing um which is a good thing but you know you never you never really know when these sports could be taken away from us so if you're able to put in the time and you're able to put in the work you know trust yourself, trust your research and go out there and make yourself some money. I, I think that those are some pretty wise words to to leave our listeners with this week. Ben, what do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And you know what, I, I think this is kind of the perfect uh, discussion for the overall uh, reason behind we uh, why we started this podcast, right? Like, it doesn't matter if you have never had a fifty thousand dollar win or a hundred thousand right. dollar win or whatever, right? right? But we do this for fun. We have jobs during the day we We do this because we love sports and uh, you know it it just kind of occupies a, a little bit of our time and uh, but it's something we enjoy doing. whereas you know it, it's so many people get addicted to this screenshot life and and looking at Twitter seeing trying to chase everything and and that's fine and dandy if that's what you're trying to do from time to time uh you know i'll i'll be entering uh the drive the green tomorrow which has 100k up top and there's almost no chance that i'm going to be winning it but at the same time it has that allure but i don't get super tied down to it i'm still going to take advantage like you said of these nba preseason summer leagues uh, showdown slates when I get a chance because that's where I feel like the, the real, that's where I feel the real edges at. And, and why not? Um, you know, people can go chase the, uh, I think the, the $44 in PGA this week is like 350 K total prize pool, a hundred K up top. So if you want to go, that's so if, stupid yeah, yeah. If, if you want to go um, chase that, uh, um, Go ahead, you know, you, you do your thing. The uh, PGA Championship Millie Maker is twenty dollar entry, $2.75 million and $1 million to uh, to first. So if if you want to go chase a, a contest that has thirty six percent of the prize pool to first, be my guest. It's your money. I'm not going to tell you what to do with it. But uh, you won't find me in that contest, and I'm sure John, you're not going to be in that contest either. And it's just – it's a situation where you just have to pick your battles and and understand what you're trying to get in the DFS for. And so um, checking out some of these niche sports, putting in a little bit of time, honestly. It doesn't take a whole lot of time to just uh, sit there, watch TV, and uh, pay a little bit of attention to what your tweet deck uh, feed is telling (laughs) you. You can do just fine. And you just got to be around – 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes before lock to build kind of a, a decent core and get that in so you don't have super dummy lineups in there. Uh, and then adjust as needed over the course of the last 5 to 10 minutes when you're really going to get a lot of detail on the slate and, and kind of uh, paint the color on the slate. So hope that was helpful and you know definitely looking forward to more discussion. Uh, if you have any further questions – Certainly, reach out to John or myself on Twitter. Uh, John's Twitter is J O N underscore T underscore Sousa. That's spelled S O U S A. And my Twitter is B Wexelman B W E I X L M A N N. We've also got our Fantasy underscore What Twitter (laughs) account. And so you know, go ahead, subscribe, rate review the show on iTunes, uh, and SoundCloud as well. Just w- why not go ahead and drop something in the comments. Tell us about your, your favorite niche sport. Give us a little information about, you know, what maybe your process is and, and, you know, maybe we need to adjust ours. Uh, and maybe, maybe you've got some great ideas.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think that that's going to do it for this episode of the fantasy what podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll catch you next week.